The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, here in England, friends and family can meet outdoors as lockdown measures are eased from today. Groups of up to six or two households can now socialise in gardens and parks. All of this amidst 30 million people across the UK having now received their first dose of a vaccine. Speaking to Sky yesterday, the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden, said that that has helped with the relaxation of some of the rules. We're making progress with the rollout of the vaccine. We're making progress through the roadmap, which means that we can take some important steps. First of all, allowing grass sports to resume, which is so important for our nation's physical and mental health. So Dowden also spoke to the BBC and said that the UK has plans to ensure the second Covid jab can be administered on time to people in Britain. Of course, it comes, though, as European countries face this new surge of cases, leading them to impose fresh virus measures. Well, joining me uh, now on the programme is Damien Green, Conservative MP for Ashford in Kent and previously the first Secretary of State and Minister for the Cabinet Office under the former Prime Minister Theresa May. Damien, thank you so much much for being with me. It's great to have you on the show. So, you know, a a big cheer, I think, will be going up from the nation that actually we get a little bit more freedom today. Um, But how secure really is it when only half the population has been vaccinated and most of those only with one jab? Well, uh, I think it's pretty secure. I think the I, I, I broadly support the the fairly cautious way uh, the government is unlocking uh, society and the economy. Um, and I mean, you talk about the vaccination program, it, it's clearly been one of the great successes. Um, when you say only half, that's only half the adult population. Mm. By two weeks from now, we will have had all the most vulnerable groups, i.e., people who are vulnerable or people who are working in healthcare or everyone over the age of 50. Uh, vaccinated, I say all, that you know, there are clearly some people turning it down. But one of the, the really interesting new figures is the, the quite staggering statistic that 95% of people over the age of 60 uh, have now uh, been vaccinated or had, had the first uh, part of the vaccination, which gives most of the protection. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that suggests that even though cases will start levelling off and maybe going up a bit, as, as we've seen since the schools were reopened three weeks ago, that actually that doesn't translate into more people going into hospital or, or more people dying. So that's, that's clearly the, the link that needs to be broken. 
Yeah, absolutely. Although the criticism, um, you know, from some of our European neighbours is that although we prioritise the first dose, you know, there isn't any way really of us guaranteeing that we'll have the doses in place for, for the second one. How, do, how can the government say that, that, that the vaccine supply is secure? Well, it seems that the, the sort of war of words with, with particularly the European Commission um, has happily remained a war of words rather than anything more serious like like barriers being put up. And it looks as though um, as long as some sort of deal can be, come, can be made with one particular AstraZeneca plant in Holland, then the, the Pfizer vaccine, which a, a lot of the British supplies come from Belgium, um, will, will continue. And that's what's key because the early, that was the first vaccine approved in Britain. And so a lot of the second doses for older people, which are due to be delivered in April, um, their Pfizer uh, doses. And, and as far as I can see, there's no threat to those supplies. What about what happens in the summer, though? The Sunday Times reporting um, August is looking like the most likely moment for foreign holidays. Surely borders have to stay closed for the summer? Well, I think borders have to stay closed for the time being. There's no doubt about it. You're right that um, in, in our, our neighbouring countries in Europe, uh, you know, the contrast with, with the British numbers, which have all been going in the right direction for you know, a month or so, uh, they're all going in the wrong direction, particularly in France. Um, so, yeah, essentially, I mean, August is quite a long time off. Uh, you know, it's four or five months off. And there are the first signs of the European uh, vaccination campaign um, getting get, getting back on its feet. I, mean, I, I know, you know France is now 10% and Germany is a bit higher. So, yeah, given another four months, assuming that the vaccines are available, then you would think that European vaccination levels will be very high by August. But I'm afraid, you know, the debate in Britain is very much, you know, can we, you know, originally the government said that they, the foreign holidays might be possible from the middle of May. Um, I, I fear that that might be a bit optimistic. Hmm. Um, is the government really still data-driven? This is what they've said, you know, relying on the scientists, data-driven. Is that really true at this stage? Or are we opening up on the dates that the government laid out at the you know, the start of the kind of reopening plan, come what may, simply because there's such a high expectation for that to happen. Um, and there's so much pressure internally on the Prime Minister, you know, to get on with it and reopen. Yeah, I, I, I think that the truth is they haven't had to make that choice yet. You know, they, they set out a, 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 some dates saying, you know, there'd be different levels of unlocking at each of these dates. Hmm. Um, we've now had two of the dates, um, and so far, the first date, the school opening, hasn't meant that the system has got anything like uh, un, you know, any more pressure. So they can happily move on to the second date, which is today, as you say, we can now all start meeting friends and family outdoors in, in small groups. Um, the, yeah, the next key date, assuming nothing goes wrong, uh, April the 12th, which is when shops and, and gyms and hairdressers, a lot of close contact indoors uh, starts happening again. Uh, I imagine that will be the time when the government will be holding its breath, thinking that's that's the point where it might all all start uh, looking less rosy. But at the moment, there, there's no clash between data and dates because uh, so far the data is showing that you can stick to the stick to the roadmap the prime minister set out. 
Yeah, okay, so not facing the challenge yet. How soon then should uh, the work from home rules be lifted? Uh, you know, there is concern from unions, for example, um, that sort of health and safety is being skirted over despite the tough rhetoric, actually, um, you know, perhaps businesses are not being, their feet are not being held to the fire in terms of COVID safety. I mean, that's the argument of the unions. When do you think we should lift the, the, the work from home rule? Um, I, I think we, pos- we probably shouldn't wait until the, the end. You know, the mid-June is at the moment the, the date when all restrictions are off. I wouldn't mind seeing it before that. But what I would say is that don't do it on the same day as one of the other unlocking measures take place. Because I think one of the best things about the roadmap is that you take one step and then give it a few weeks to see what happens to the numbers so I know some of my colleagues have been arguing, you know, let's, you know, on April the 12th, when, when the shops are reopening, uh, let's relax the working from home restrictions then. I think that would be a mistake because if the numbers do, God forbid, go in the wrong direction after that, we won't know what's caused it. So I think having one big unlocking event, as it were, on a single day and then giving it a few weeks to see it is, is the way to go. So um, I would, as it stands, looking at the data and, you know, course all the economic effects Mm. um, I would be quite happy for uh, working from home restrictions to be relaxed before June but I'd like to do it on a date that's not one of the established dates or one of the other bits of unlocking. Okay interesting on to another completely different subject accusations against the former Prime Minister David Cameron and his um, activities regarding Green Sill Capital cleared by the office of the Registrar of Consultant Lobbyists for um, you know having not done the right things in terms of registration so cleared on that front and yet do you think that that was right or should the prime minister perhaps have answered further questions around how much lobbying he undertook uh, on behalf of his employer current employer i th- i think we we sort of know the facts i mean i i i i've never met mr greensill so i so i yeah i don't know anything about him um or you know and all i know about his business is what i've read in the newspapers um I mean, David Cameron is, is, is not a sort of dishonest figure at all in any way. So I think yeah, absolutely everything he would have done, he would have stuck by the, the rules and, and the laws and, and not done anything improper. So I but think, access um, and high-level meetings and, and phone calls and so on to press the case for loans, for example? Well, I think but, but, you know, plenty of people do that. And you know, people will phone up their friends. Um, for business purposes as well, but I think yeah, what's important is that uh, is that the system uh, it reacts in a sensible way, and it clearly did, as I understand it. You know, he phoned people at the Treasury. The Treasury looked at whether to give uh, Greensill's company uh, a development grant and said no. Uh, so it seems to me the system actually worked quite well. There's there's, there's no sense that uh, you know undue favours were called in or anything like that. That actually uh, the government machine seems to have worked perfectly sensibly in this point. Hmm. Uh, okay, uh, just lastly, um, there's going to be a switch also from the message around the lockdown messages to getting fit. Do you think that people are ready for that message? Now the end of lockdown, now you've got to get out there and start jogging. 
I think if you make, if they make it compulsory, then, then the, you know, the great British tendency to say get stuffed will will come in. But I think you know, I think a lot of people are aching to get out. I mean, I know that, that you know there are you know tennis players and golf players and things like that are absolutely desperate to get back on on the courts or, or the course, uh, and they can do so from this morning. And and you know one hears that you know sort of literally every every tennis court uh, and and every sort of golf tee tea off time uh, has been booked uh, in this country so I think the short answer is people won't need much encouraging uh, to get outdoors um, and, and it, on, on a more serious note of course we've all been or many people have been stuck indoors yeah. uh, for months um, and it will it will absolutely do everyone good to, to get out and yeah. exercise a bit Success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Let's bring you some other news in the world of politics. One in four small exporters have stopped sales to the European Union because of red tape caused by Brexit. That's according to a new survey from the Federation of Small Businesses. So they found that 23% of exporters have temporarily stopped sales to EU customers, but another 4% have decided to stop selling into the bloc permanently. So that from the FSB. Also, police have said that uh, sexual harassment and assault claims being made by school pupils may be the next child abuse scandal that engulfs the nation. More than 6,000 testimonies were made on the website Everyone's Invited, which was set up to allow survivors to anonymously share accounts of abuse. Police are now asking victims to come forward and a helpline will be launched by the Department for Education in the next week for those wishing to get support and potentially report their complaints. And lastly, Britain expects to receive the first doses of the US-made Moderna vaccine within weeks. That's according to the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden. He was speaking to the BBC yesterday. Now, the arrival of that jab comes as the EU toughens up restrictions on exports and Britain faces a significant reduction in supplies in April due to a delayed delivery of AstraZeneca jabs from India. So those are some of the top stories in the world of politics this morning. But now... The reopening measures mean that outdoor venues and grassroots sports is back. But after a year of lockdowns, how is the sector managing to reopen safely? Well, joining me now is Lisa O'Keefe, who's Executive Director of Insight at Sport England. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us. I know a huge cheer has gone up across the nation. I'm sure people will be feeling so excited to get out there. Outdoor swimming pools, golf courses, tennis courses, organised sports outside is being reopened it is a huge step it is um it's felt like a long time hasn't it? it's been a long winter 
Um, and I know from looking at all of our research that so many of us have worked really hard over the winter to keep active, keep moving. We've been out walking. We've been out doing our couch to 5K and our, um, being out with the family. But this is an opportunity now to, to suddenly have so much more opportunity uh, to be active and, and to join our friends and, and be active all in, a, all in a COVID safe way. But it marks a really big step today. Yeah, absolutely. I suspect I'm more couch than 5K right now, sadly. But outdoors is meant to be safer than indoors. That's the message from the government health advisors. I guess there is, though, a risk. I mean, cases at the moment are plateauing. Um, You know, if there's too much contact, too much contagion, do you feel that these grass level organisations have got a handle on all of the very difficult, tricky kind of COVID regulations? Mm, So we know from the research that now more than ever before, we all want to, to, to be in safe environments where we know that footfall is being managed, there are protocols in place. And I guess that's one of the really big messages today is that the organised sports that are coming back, they have COVID protocols which are very specific to their sports, their environments, their facilities. Um, and everyone should feel, feel comfortable that, that those um, uh, protocols are in place. And actually, importantly, all very visible as well. So if, if you're not sure, do have a look at the website of your mm. club or the governing body because that will explain what measures they're putting in place. Mm. What about funding and whether actually in a lot of these clubs are going to be able to reopen or groups? Some £370 mm. million pounds in emergency funding went to grassroots sports and physical activities. How are sports clubs, teams, venues really faring financially? Yeah, um, it's been tough. Uh, uh, it's been tough for all of us, hasn't it? And certainly we saw right at the very start of the pandemic, of course, you know, clubs were shutting overnight, facilities were shutting, but unfortunately utility bills don't stop, rates don't stop. Um, and we were very pleased to be able to put that emergency funding in place. And as you say, Caroline, £270 million. Um, Increasingly, as the pandemic's gone on, we've been using that money to help those clubs and organisations adapt so if they have to make changes to the facility if they have to train staff up if they have to make adaptations to the sport or activity to make it covid safe then we've been using the money to help those changes um, it also would be so so grateful for the uh, funding from government so the return um, to play fund which is um helped uh, clubs and activities um get underway uh, the um the Leisure Recovery Fund, £100 million, which is helping local authority leisure services to help helping leisure centres, which is so important for so many of us, mm. um, get back up and running. And of course, the £300 million winter survival package, mm. because so many clubs have suffered um, not being able to have spectators in. That's really impacted, of course, the, the financial viability. So that, that money is absolutely critical to yeah. the continuation of, of community sport. But you and I both know that that's really kind of a drop in the bucket, isn't it? Do you feel that hospitality and uh, entertainment, uh, um, food services, retail were prioritised too much versus uh, sporting activities? Um, I, I can't 
comment on other sectors, but what I would say is we've had a lot of support um, in, in sport and, and physical activity. The very fact that, that sport and physical activity is right at the front here in terms of this next phase of, of reopening is so important, not just for the continuation and the, and the, the viability of the, the sports sector, but also just for our health and well-being. You know, more now than ever before, I think we all recognise how important it is to keep moving. So this is a really important landmark. And I, yes, of course, I would, I would say to everybody listening, you know, if you can support your local club or facility, get down there and, and get back to those activities you took part in pre-COVID. It would be so important. Yeah, and the message is, um, I was joking with Damien Green, is, you know, we're going from hearing messages of stay at home, stay safe, you know, um, look after the NHS and so on. Uh, now I suspect there'll be a whole raft of government messages about getting out and getting fit again. Um, I mean, how fair is it, though, to kind of place that sort of pressure emphasis on those clubs to deal with the obesity and weight issues that are going to come out of, of lockdown and that we know affect, you know, pandemic outcomes too? Mm. So I mean, the, fir- the first thing I'd say is, um, you know, it has been a tough winter for all of us, right? I mean, like everybody, I have not been as active as I should have been. Um, and, and I'm quite anxious about coming back. Um, when, when we've been speaking to people, one of the top anxieties um, after COVID is that we've lost some conditioning, that we're maybe not as fit as we were. We know from all of the research that we've done in the past that that can be a big barrier because we worry that if we turn up, we're not going to fit in. Everybody's going to be fitter than us. We're not really going to be welcome. Um, To be honest, it is the exact opposite. Um, I was having a look at actually a number of uh, governing body websites last Mm. night. If you look at England Netball, they have a range of different products, whether whether you want to get into back to netball, walking netball, um, play friendlies. So many sports now offer so many different ways of of being active, of of taking part in that sport. It really has transformed over the last few years. So my my message would be actually clubs are really super keen to play a part in in helping the nation move more. And if you took part in an activity before the pandemic and you're sort of worried you can't get back, or if this is the moment when you're, you know, you've looked out the window and it's blue sky and sunshine and you're thinking, well, actually, maybe now this is the opportunity to do something because, you know, we all know how important it is to be active. Then I would just encourage people to have a look at what's out there. Lisa, you've read my Twitter page, I'm sure. I'm a mad, keen netball <laughs> fan, so I, I love to hear about that. But look, um, and player, but um, that sort of raises one of the issues that, you know, I hear a lot in netball circles, which is, is there equal access, equal opportunity, equal funding being given to, you know, primarily male or primarily female sports? I mean, uh, mainly the kind of place where it falls down is often in, in women's grassroots uh, activities. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been the case, hasn't it? We've seen it during the pandemic when it comes to uh, the uh, the top end of sport, that, that women's sport did struggle and, mm-hmm. and struggle to, to, to get matches away. But what I can absolutely say at the grassroots level, um, there's good investment into the clubs. And we are super keen at Sport England through campaigns like This Girl Can and our support of a whole range of governing bodies to make it possible for as many women and girls to, to get into activities and, and find a, an environment and a space that, that, that feels safe and welcoming and enjoyable. 
um, that certainly is a big priority for us at Sport England. Yeah, okay. What are you thinking about then um, in terms of your biggest priority for the next kind of few weeks? What are you going to be focusing on? Um, The next few weeks, certainly um, trying to encourage people back into activities. Um, We know from the research that uh, there are those people who have been desperate to get back out today. So they would have been the first on the golf driving range. Uh, They would have been first booked into uh, club activities. But for many of us, there's a a cautious optimism here. Mm. So we're really keen to get back out there, but we don't want to go backwards. So a lot of our work is going to be working with many of the providers in the the country to, to get that message across that, that, that sport is back and that, that we have COVID-safe uh, environments mm-hmm. and also that there are the next stages to come. So for those people who uh, are perhaps not thinking about playing golf but are desperate to get back to the gym, um, yes. the next phase of this coming, you know, in, in yeah. April, as, as long as this goes as we all hope, you know, there's more to come. So um, we'll just okay. to keep working and get that message out. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.